Eddington, and I'm joined once again by Mark Thompson for a special extra little bit of chat that came up while we were in the middle of recording Lots and Familiar. So, Mark, you had a couple more things you wanted to talk about. Programmes that I saw when I was in other countries when I was a kid. And I also wondered if this was maybe a, a phenomenon that lots of the listeners will have experienced as well. Maybe not these specific programmes I'm going to mention, but the idea that they were in another country and they maybe were there on holiday or staying with relatives and they saw maybe one or two episodes of a television programme and then maybe they just never saw it again, maybe because it wasn't brought over to the UK or it never took off in this country or whatever. The first one is a program called The Adventures of Beans Baxter, which aired on Fox in the US in 1987 and I think 88. I saw it when me and my family went to Florida in 1987, which was it was the holiday of my childhood, really, because we never really went that far afield on holiday. We used to go to Wales and stay in static caravans. And we did sometimes go to the Netherlands, which I'll mention in a minute, which is one of the other ones I remember, uh, because my cousins lived there. But this was the furthest by far that I'd ever been on holiday. I was fascinated by American television and, uh, you know, just the adverts and the way the presentation of the television programs were, because I was interested in that stuff in the UK as well. But I remember this one because I watched two episodes of this. Like I say, it was called The Adventures of Beans Baxter. It was on Fox. I didn't realise at the time that the Fox network had only just launched, I think, either that year or the year before. I just, I didn't even know what network it was on, to be honest. And it was about a kid who, he worked for, like, the the secret services in America. I think he'd been kind of recruited in. His dad worked for them. And then his dad had gone missing. And in the pilot episode, which I, I watched, I think I watched as it first aired, I remember they were trying to get into some building and it was locked, but he managed to find a way in. And he was recruited to work for this agency and they were they were trying to kind of solve mysteries effectively and uh, his dad was involved as well because obviously his dad worked for this agency as well and I think he had to cover up the fact that he was involved in it too so I don't think he was really allowed to talk about it and I don't think the rest of his family knew but obviously his dad knew uh, and I think I watched the first two episodes of it and then that was it we came back home and I just assumed right, this was a big show there was loads of promotion about it on Fox for days beforehand they'd been going on about oh Beans Back to the Beans Back it was coming soon coming soon new series new series so i assume when i got home well surely bbc one or itv are going to pick up the show i don't think they ever did in fact i'm not sure it was ever broadcast in the uk and so i was just left with like these first two episodes which in one of my appearances on looks unfamiliar we talked about the whiz kids it had a similar feel to that it was a kid solving mysteries with kind of help from adults so it wasn't like the kid was completely on his own and the WizKids, the kids were never completely on their own. There were always adults involved. It was a bit like that. It was it was right up my street, basically, you know, kind of solving mysteries, solving crimes. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if no one in this country remembers it at all, because I don't think it was ever broadcast here. I've got no recollection of it ever being shown over here. I'll be honest about that. I saw all kinds of like American drivel. Having watched a clip on YouTube recently, I think it was pretty much drivel. I was I was 12. I turned 13 whilst we were in Florida. So you know, that was the age I was. It obviously appealed to me then, but I, I suspect there was a good reason why the BBC or ITV, whenever they must have done the, the rounds of the US networks in working out what programmes we were going to bring over, they must have looked at that and thought, do you know what, we'll pass. And I think that was probably a good call. It's worth saying it starred Michael Ward, who was also in Mac and Me. Right, yeah. That terrible E.T. rip-offs. There we go then. So may maybe that was part of the influences to, to why they didn't bother. The other one is a show which I watched when I went to stay with my cousins in the Netherlands. They lived near Rotterdam and they were able to get BBC One and BBC Two, but they couldn't get ITV. And they had these other channels, these kind of exotic channels that we didn't get in the UK in the, in the mid-80s. Uh, they had Sky Channel. 
which I think was run by Sky, you know, I don't think it was like Sky One or anything. I think it was a different channel, but I think it was run by what became Sky in the UK. And there was another channel called Super Channel. Now, I don't really know the history behind Super Channel, but I know that this program that I saw was on Super Channel and it was called Ghost Story. And I only saw one episode of it, but I became totally obsessed with this program. I saw it as a one-off episode, the episode called Alter Ego, which I subsequently discovered it was from season one. In season two, it became, it changed its name. It became Circle of Fear. But in season one, it was called Ghost Story. It was introduced, there was a little bit at the start, a little bit like Roald Dahl used to introduce uh, episodes of Tales of the Unexpected for like a minute beforehand or Alfred Hitchcock used to do it in Alfred Hitchcock Presents Sebastian Cabo who is probably best known for being the voice of Bagheera in the Jungle Book he would introduce the, the episode and then at the end he would do a little coda uh, so he introduced the episode and then this particular episode Alter Ego was a boy who he gets in an accident so he's at home and he's recovering and he's very bored and he plays chess and he conjures up a doppelganger of himself I don't think he does it deliberately I think it just sort of happens but he goes with it because it's someone he can talk to someone he can play chess with but this doppelganger is an evil doppelganger you'll be unsurprised to hear and the doppelganger learns a lot about this boy and he goes into school and he starts basically tormenting the teacher he gets the teacher fired this is a teacher that that Robert loves like the real Robert loves but he gets her fired and in the end he somehow manages to kill her because he turns up in her garden and he kind of disappears and then appears behind her and it's an elderly woman and she ends up having a heart attack and I just was absolutely obsessed with this program because I think anything like that where it's like the rules of reality have been subverted and there's nothing that this kid can do to stop this doppelganger who's just hell-bent on not just causing chaos but actually killing people and there's nothing he could do about it I remember when I got back to the UK I tried to find out about it I think it's listed in Halliwell's TV guide so I remember I would read stuff about that I think that's how I found out that the second season of it was called Circle of Fear there wasn't much in that TV guide about it but there was a little bit and then obviously when the internet started I think I joined like a a fan group of it because I was trying to get hold of a copy of the episode of this program I never managed to do it it's available on YouTube now but at the time I you know when I I was looking for it I never managed to find it people will probably remember a, a Richard Burton film called The Medusa Touch from about 1978 I became obsessed with that as well for a similar reason because the, the protagonist in that is able to do things that subvert the rules of reality and no one can stop him like he can he's got telekinesis but he can do it remotely and even when they try and kill him they still can't stop him and it's like it's those things when i was a kid it's like this idea that you know reality's been subverted and no one can stop it that they were the things that freaked me out the most but i just thought it was an interesting thing to talk about because i don't know if you ever had this experience of going abroad and then watching stuff and then coming back to the uk and there's just nothing about it and you, you can't even talk to your friends about it because no one else saw what you saw well mine's a bit different which i'll come back to in a second but i'm surprised that ghost story stroke circle theory isn't better known because do you know who was behind it no do you know who william castle is the name rings a bell he was a movie director in the 50s and 60s who came up with all these incredible gimmicks like emerjo illusiono percepto where it's just massive beetle style pranks played on the cinema audiences okay emerjo was a model skeleton that flew out as a skeleton raced towards the front of the screen illusiono was a kind of viewer that you put in front of your eyes that enhanced the ghosts on the screen percepto was a buzzer hidden in the seats for when the tingler appeared on screen he has a massive sort of cult following now it's the sort of thing where people try to recreate those original cinema experiences it's more in america than over here but yeah. he is quite a name i know friend that looks unfamiliar jonathan slow 
Roman is quite a big William Castle fan. But he was responsible for this series, and yet it seems to have fallen completely off the radar. So I think in the US it was broadcast on NBC. I based that on, I saw someone on that group that I was involved with saying that they had a copy of it, and there was continuity with Casey Kasem as the NBC <laughs> continuity announcer introducing the programme. So it must have at least been broadcast on NBC, and I'm guessing it didn't achieve enough episodes to be syndicated, so I'm guessing it must have been made by NBC, or or by a production company and then broadcast on NBC. Do you know if it was ever broadcast in the UK? Because I've not been able to find any evidence it was. I've not found any trace of it. I wouldn't be surprised if it showed up a couple of episodes in one or two ITV regions, because that, yeah. that's normally the way. You know, there was that for years and years, people thought that Kolchak the Night Stalker, which is a, I don't know if you've ever seen that, it's an American detective sci-fi horror series from the early 70s, but no. everyone thought when BBC Two showed it in the early 90s. That was the first time it had been shown over here, but it later turned out some ITV regions did actually show it a couple of times. So that did happen, so I imagine it happened with this as well. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things as well that I read about, I don't know because I've not seen any episodes other than the one I mentioned, but apparently in the second season when they, they ditched the title Ghost Story, they called it Circle of Fear, they ditched Cabo as well, they didn't have the intro and outro bit, which didn't that happen with Tales of the Unexpected as well in the later episodes, they no longer had Roald Dahl introducing them. I found that quite interesting that maybe they were cutting cast, maybe they couldn't afford him anymore, I don't know. We didn't tend to watch much TV when we went on holiday. The one thing that really stands out in my mind was in Germany, I don't know how long this went on for as a thing, there was a countdown between each advert for how many adverts were left and it had a sort of animated boy with a mop of curly hair in different comic situations involving a number. Fascinated by it in a way, kind of, why would anyone bother doing that? Well, in like the position where like the channel logo, the dog would be, they had like an animation counting down how many adverts were left yes yeah exactly well, now, between the chapter. and then in a toy shop we saw a toy of him and we thought who would want that? It was quite a big thing. And then we forgot about it for a couple of years until there was a band in the early 90s called Electribe 101. One of the members was Billy Ray Martin, who was later a reasonably successful solo artist. She was from Germany. And in an interview in Smash Hits, she said something about the little boy that comes on between the adverts. And, you know, Smash Hits made some sarcastic comment involving lots of exclamation marks. And she seemed absolutely bewildered that nobody would know what it was over here but we were thinking that's that thing that's a stupid thing <laughs> but the main one that i remember was in france once we stayed somewhere with the tv i was made up because we were showing a lot of old bbc and itv series dubbed into french in fact i saw an episode of the genesis of the daleks and they only very briefly showed the dubbed Tom Baker stories in France. I was really lucky to see that. I remember recording some of these on audio cassette on my on my Goodman's Walkman with a built-in microphone. I remember being absolutely fascinated, you know, seeing episodes of the Avengers and so on that I'd never seen. And being able to understand what was going on when Steve bought Tara an electric sundial. I mean, the titles of them were brilliant because the Avengers, the title translates as bowler hat and leather boots. The Persuaders translates like it says yours amicably but the one you'll never guess what this was the tripod <laughs> genuinely that was so exciting a couple of years after the tripods had been on seeing it dubbed into French 
and <laughs> the French characters in it actually sounding French. That was quite a turn up for the books. Yeah, see, I, I never really had that that experience because uh, first of all, I didn't really speak Dutch when we used to go. Went over to Holland about three times in the eighties. But also, what they tended to do was they would show the the English language stuff, but they would they would just show it in English, and then they would have Dutch subtitles underneath. So I'm not sure if maybe you know the Netherlands didn't have the budget, the TV channels they didn't have the budget to be dubbing everything, so they just. But also, it was a good way for Dutch people to learn English as well. So uh, you know. Maybe there was, uh, there was kind of method behind it as well. The other thing that I remember being fascinated with when I was in America was just the volume of adverts. Obviously, in the UK in the last maybe 10 years, it's got quite a lot worse and it's got a bit more like America and, you know, like show sponsorship and having like five ad breaks rather than three. But it was just unbelievable that you'd, you'd, like, you'd have the opening credits of a programme and then it would go straight into adverts for two minutes before the programme even started. I know you would see the same adverts over and over again. There was an advert... This was 1987 for Lucky Charm cereal. And it was like this stupid Irish caricature. I must have seen that advert about a hundred times in the space of a week of being in Orlando because it was on every ad break and there were loads of ad breaks. And I think it's just cultural differences like that that really brought home to me just how different things were in America, how much more commercialised it was, how much... You know, how much time they were spending trying to flog this to kids. Because you got a lot of that with the early cable channels over here, because a lot of them went to European channels sustaining overnight, where the adverts were in different languages as well, because, you know, they obviously had the Europe-wide audience. Mm. Some of them, I don't know what they were, but I remember there was one for, remember, these are a thing in the past now, phone party lines. Oh, God, yes. But there was one where it had lots of people, you know, sort of young people having a great time, you know, there was one on the phone drinking one of those big sort of cocktails in a pineapple, <laughs> one dressed as Arnie in the Terminator, pulled the phone out of a holster, that sort of thing. I just remember a voice, I don't know what language it was, the number was iPhone 9, Fuset 9, Kimaninol. So if anyone wants to work out what that is and phone it, please be my guest. Please tell if it's still working. So <laughs> if that bloke's still drinking out of the pineapple. With these, these adverts broadcast in the UK, then? They were on cable channels where if you had cable, when the UK services shut down at 10 pm or whatever, they would go to Sat One and Ryuno. Sat One tended to have the early 70s kind of Jarvis Cocker universe, the sex comedies, you know, like carry on films where you saw things. And Ryuno tended to have all. I don't know how they got away with this being on UK available frequencies. All of the video nasties were on there. Wow. In Italian, but even so. But yeah, before all that, it had been quite weird that very little TV... I mean, not even all... Like you say, not even all American TV films that were over here. Very little foreign language TV did. And often it was quite bastardised in a way. Like, something we've mentioned here a couple of times, Battle of the Planets. Yeah. There's very little relation to what it was like in Japan. You can tell me if I've got this right. In Japan, it was it was quite violent and it was the, the storylines were quite different. And the yes. Seven Zark Seven bit, where you go to the undersea capsule and he kind of does the expositional bit to explain what's going on, they were all just added in for the UK audience and that character didn't exist in the original. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. I can sort of see why they perhaps want to retool it because I think some Japanese anime stuff is pretty grim, <laughs> isn't it? And that was on at like 4.45 on BBC One. And there's also the Tales from Europe, like Bell and Sebastian and yeah. Robinson Crusoe and the Flashing Blade. No, they weren't changed that much, but they were changed just to make them fit into the templates of what was shown on the BBC. And I do know that the guy who played Robinson Crusoe, remember we can interview with him once, 
once where he said that he was always baffled why whenever he came to the UK people who saw him in the street would start singing this tune at him where he had no idea what it was. Is that right because it wasn't the tune from the programme? No it wasn't and yet you know here it was shown you know about three times a year yeah. In school holidays. So God. everyone just associated with that music. It was like, what? They used to flog those. But I remember Silas. God. Oh, that's, so... that's interminable. But it's sort of Nicholas Lindhurst mate. And Heidi as well. Why do people look back on that nostalgically? I hated that. Yeah, that seemed to go on for about five years. I mean, it probably only went on for a few months. But it was like episode after episode. And nothing significant seemed to happen between episodes. <laughs> Is this that's what life was like in that time? It probably was, to be fair. It's always fascinating. Fascinating when you see it seems to be mainly in the early seventies that BBC Two in particular seemed to show you know if like a Danish comedy had won an international award they'd show an episode of it and you think how did that go down at the time and it's so rare to see things like that as well. Are you aware of Tilter Rise's attempt to try and find out about nuts? You saw this episode of some weird sketch show that seemed to be kind of Scandinavian, and then it's kind of at the start it went nuts in this really weird place. <laughs> And for years, years and years, literally decades, he was trying to find out what it was. Eventually managed to find out that it was some sketch show from some, I think, Norwegian comedy troupe that had won the Golden Rose. And so I think Time Tees and Central had separately shown this show. And it was was very little words in it. It was mainly kind of physical and visual comedy. So I don't think they really need to worry too much about dubbing over. But he finally managed to find out what it was. But yeah, weird things like that that you kind of, you see once that pop up on like, you know, maybe it's just an ITV regional thing on a Saturday morning or something. And then you just, you you never see again. It's like loads of those things. Well, I remember ITV randomly showing one episode of Bonkers, Bob Monkhouse's American sketch show from, I think, about 19. Because I was very young, I remember finding it hilariously funny that people kept calling him Monkey instead of Monkhouse. And I remember thinking, oh, I can't wait for that next week. And it was never on again. Two of my friends remember this because we were obsessed with it at the time. Do you remember a program called Xerxes that Channel 4 showed in, I think it was 1989? No. It was a comedy drama. For some reason, it ended up in the tea time slot. I'm sure it should have been on much later. It was shown with subtitles. It was Swedish. It was about a gang of teenagers who were coming up towards their end of school exams and for some reason I don't know if some of this got lost in translation they decided to have a competition to see who could collect the most female underwear labels and it was quite near the knuckle but it wasn't as it wasn't as creepy as it sounds there was more of a romantic comedy angle to it and there was one of them was quite outright who was just saying hello I'm having this competition I want to win can you give me the tag from your pants <laughs> and getting drinks chucked over him and things like that but it was quite sharp and funny in a lot of ways I remember one of them got so frustrated at the fact he was losing that he spray painted on the side of the school building why must you taught me so although obviously I didn't know that I said that in the subtitle <laughs> <laughs> and he got hailed as like a sort of social satirist visionary genius for that. <laughs> and the main female character was played by Morton Harkett's then girlfriend, I think later wife. It was actually a really funny show, but it's never resurfaced in any form at all. I think it's in the nature of these things, isn't it? Like the, the idea that you, you might just catch something on some regional ITV station. It, it, you know, it was possible given the the regionalised nature of ITV back in those days that you could just imagine, you know, some local programming commissioner just we just need to fill half an hour. Right? Let's just shove this in, and it maybe is never shown in any other region, and it's never repeated again, and it's just filling a gap. It's like that phenomenon that you used to get, which you just don't get now, which is that you know a program's underrun by five minutes or four minutes 
So we're just going to stick a cartoon on. I used to love that. I used to get so excited. It's like, you know, this program's finished a bit early and suddenly, and now, an extra cartoon. It'd be like a Bugs Bunny or a Roadrunner or a Pepe Le Pew. Sometimes it was Out of the Inkwell or Gerald of the Welsh, which nobody wanted. You remember, I think it was called Animation Now was the strand on BBC Two. I think it was part of Death Two or it was on just after Death Two. It was around that kind of time. There was one animation and I can't find any reference to this online. Maybe maybe you'll remember it. I don't know, maybe someone will remember it. Was I think it was a foreign thing, but there wasn't any words in it. It just started off and it was from the perspective of you're basically a ball and you're looking down and then the ball bounces and then it bounces a bit higher and then it bounces a bit higher and it keeps bouncing and every time it's bouncing higher and higher. But you're looking down, so you're getting the perspective of going up and then going down. And so you're seeing, first of all, you start to be able to see above the trees, then you can see above buildings, then you can see, and so on and so on. And eventually it bounces off into outer space. And I think this thing went on for about 10 minutes. And I can't find any reference to it. I've tried searching through BBC Genome on, and the Animation Now filter, and then going through the descriptions. But quite often they don't describe, because there's normally about two or three different animations in each episode. They don't always describe what the animations were. So I just, I don't think I'll ever be able to find that. It's that That's like one of those things. I remember me and my brother watched it and we still talk about it now but i'd be surprised if anyone else remember that at all and how do you google for that ball bouncing it's like there's just no way you can find it you say that but somebody listening might know so if you know what it is please let us know on twitter so mark can maybe possibly watch it again i don't know whether you will or not that would be fantastic i would like to see that again because it really very memorable okay well over to all of you see you soon Not On Your Telly by Tim Worthington. From Fish to Fun to Ski Boy, the ultimate guide to TV that time forgot. Find out more at timworthington.blogspot.co.uk.